If you will, uh, stand with me. Open your Bibles to 1 Samuel chapter 15. 1 Samuel chapter 15. When you get there, say amen. 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 Let's begin at verse 1 and read through uh, verse 24. I'll get us started, and then you guys jump in and continue reading. And Samuel said to Saul, the Lord sent me to anoint you king over his people Israel. Now, therefore, listen to the words of the Lord. Keep reading. Thus says the Lord of hosts, I have noted what Amalek did to Israel in opposing them on the way when they came up out of Egypt. Now go strike Amalek and devote to destruction all that they have. Do not spare them.
title of our text this morning is Saul, people-pleasing, and the cost of obedience. Saul, people-pleasing, and the cost of obedience. Let's pray. Father God, we're so thankful that we get to come before you together as a unified people under the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, and that we get to read your word, that we get to consume and feast on your word. Uh, Your word, uh, the Bible says, is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path, God, that it might give us instruction, that it might direct our ways, that it might challenge us and convict us of sin, God. It might encourage us in times of difficulty. Uh, your word uh, is, is, is credible and, and good for all things. Uh, and so we're grateful that we get an opportunity to hear from you through your word. Uh, so, God, we pray that our hearts would be receptive this morning uh, to your word and that our lives Uh, and our minds might be transformed constantly by it, Uh, and more than anything, God, that we might live in obedience to your word. Uh, So we just pray that in the name of your son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. 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 You may be seated. Hello, my name is Curtis Dunlap, and I am a people pleaser. What I would like you to do is turn to your neighbor and say, hi, my name is fill in the blank, and I am a people pleaser. Now, I know some of you are just indulging me by turning to your neighbor and saying that, but you really don't believe it. But... I want to let you know this morning that every single person under the sound of my voice on some level is a people pleaser. Everybody cares what people think about them. I don't care how, I, I don't care how tough you think you are. Like the thuggest thug on the block cares about what the other thugs think about him. Everybody cares what people think and say and how they're perceived in the minds of other people. And so the first step is to acknowledge that you've got a problem. And so I'm trying to help you this morning, (laughs) help you acknowledge that you have a problem. Because as I read this passage, I had to come to the grips with the fact that I have a problem. See, people-pleasing can be masked in so many different things. And it's sometimes hard to detect Me and my wife have had many conversations of people-pleasing, something that she's walked through and struggled with and growing in. And, you know, my typical response is, man, I don't care what nobody thinks about me. They ain't kick rocks as far as I'm concerned. If 
You're not going to be my friend. Somebody else is going to be my friend. It don't even matter. But that's not true. I care what people think about me. Right? And so when we find ourselves in this text, we come to uh, this point in Saul's life where a critical moment happens. Uh, and I know as most of you are probably thinking, well, you, we have this idea of Saul when we read the Bible that Saul was just this bad guy. We remember Saul from his chasing after David with his life and throwing spears at him and all the malicious things that he did. But Saul didn't start out that way. Saul was a regular old dude that God called for a great task. If you look back at 1 Samuel chapter 9, Saul had a lot going for him. He was a wealthy man, came from a wealthy family. His dad had a lot of money. Uh, the Bible says he was handsome, more handsome than anybody else in Israel, right? So like he, it's not like he was no ugly dude and couldn't find a wife or, uh, or any of that stuff. Like Saul, he, was, he had money and he looked good, right? That's a good way to start off in life sometimes, <laughs> right? Uh, but, but not only that, he was tall. Now, I don't know how dark he was, so he was tall, either dark and handsome or or tall, light-skinned, and handsome, and, but he was tall, handsome, and had money, right? And so that, that always seems to go in your favor many times. Uh, but, but not even that. After he was appointed king, chapter 14, the Bible says that, that God gave him success in the fighting of his enemies, and he fought valiantly, right? Uh, later on in chapter 14, it says that, that Paul, I mean, Saul utilized some wisdom. He, he gathered men to himself, valiant men who had shown themselves to be credible and to be reliable. And so there's wisdom in that as a leader. When you surround yourself with other people uh, who are reliable and are good at what they do. And so here you see Saul, he's, he's got some money, he's tall, he's handsome, he knows how to recruit people to his team so that he can experience success. Seems like he has the hand of God on him and he's experiencing success, but unfortunately his story doesn't continue in that way. Chapter 13, they're getting ready to go to war with the Philistines and, and Samuel's taking a little bit too long to get to Saul. Saul looks up and he's looking at the people as they get ready to go to war. The Bible says the people are scattering from him. They're a little nervous. They're, they're, they're impatient waiting on God. And so what does Saul do? He goes and sacrifices an offering to the Lord. Disobedient. And the Lord responds to him and said, I would have kept your family line on the throne beyond you, but now I can't. Next chapter, chapter 14 they're at war. Saul issues a decree. Nobody's to eat the rest of the day. Unfortunately, he didn't know his son Jonathan had slipped away and was killing the Philistines and ate some honey that day. And he was ready to put his son to death because of his word. And yet the Bible says the people ransomed Jonathan. And now we get to here in chapter 15 where Saul is faced with another dilemma ultimately rejects the word of the Lord, God rejects him, and you begin to see his demise. But one of the things I noticed as I was walking through Saul's life and the story of Saul is Saul was a very well-intentioned man. Even when he was disobedient at times, if you went and looked underneath the surface, you could see evidences of someone who was well-intentioned in doing what they did. But here was Saul's downfall. Saul was impatient, and he was prayerless. There's nothing more dangerous than an individual who's well-intentioned but lack prayer and is impatient. Amen. 
it'll bring you into a lot of trouble. And that's what ended up happening to Saul ultimately here in, in, in chapter 15. And so we start off with verse 1. Samuel said to Saul, the Lord sent me to anoint you king over his people Israel. Now, therefore, listen to the words of the Lord. Samuel's coming on behalf of God. And he says, I anointed you and put you king over Israel. I put you in this position for a reason. Now, hear my word. I didn't just put you as king to just kind of do whatever you wanted to do. I'm coming letting you know that, that, that me as God and you as king leading the people, I'm leading you. And so you're to obey me. And so he comes with the command and he says, thus says the Lord of hosts, I've noted what Amalek did to the Israel in opposing them on the way. When they came up out of Egypt, now go strike them. Completely exterminate them. Man, woman, child infant, ox, sheep, camel, donkey, get rid of everybody and everything, right? There's some back history, though, with the Amalekites in Israel. If you go back to Exodus chapter 17, as Israel was coming up out of Egypt on their way to the promised land, the Amalekites came up from behind them and, and did a sneak attack and, 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 and began to attack the Israelites. Uh, and this is what the Lord says uh, about that. After that had all happened, that ordeal happens, God gives them into the Israelites' hands, but, but God goes on in verse 14 through 16 and says, Then the Lord said to Moses, Write this as a memorial in a book, and recite it in the ears of Joshua, that I will utterly blot out the memory of Amalek from under heaven. And Moses built an altar and called the name of it, The Lord is my banner, saying, A hand upon the throne of the Lord. The Lord will have war with Amalek from generation to generation. The offense against God and God's people from the Amalekites was so great that God told him to write it down in a book and recite it throughout the generations that I'm going to destroy this people group off the face of the earth. I'm going to destroy the memory of them. Like that's, you, you know you get into some tough talk when somebody doesn't just say they're going to destroy you, but destroy the memory of you. I don't know if y'all remember the, the, the movie, The Immortals. Y'all remember that movie? Did anybody watch that? It was like, I know, my guy, I know the guys did, but because yeah, it was a lot of fighting and killing in that movie, right? Right? I hear you, Octavius, right? But, but in this movie, I forget what the bad guy's name was, um, but, but he, he's talking to, to the people, uh, and he's I'm not going to repeat what he says because it's kind of foul, but he's talking about annihilating the people so bad, and he's, he's basically saying, I'm going to annihilate you so bad and wipe your memory from the face of the earth. Even those descendants that survive are going to remind people of me. This is what the Lord does, and he brings war onto them as judgment for their sin. And so Saul summons the people, 20, 20 over 200,000 people to get ready uh, to go to war, and that's what they began to do. They began to fulfill the commands of the Lord. As they were going and laying wait before they got to the, the city, uh, they, they saw the people of the, the Kenites uh, um, living in the land amongst uh, the Amalekites, and they said, listen, if you don't want to be destroyed leave for a little while, get, get out the way, right? And the Lord showed grace to the Kenites because the Bible says that, that, that they showed favor to Israel as they were coming up out of the land. And the Lord remembered them. The, the, the Kenites were descendants of, of Jethro, who was Jethro, Moses' father-in-law. And so the Lord showed kindness to that people by removing them from what he was about to do. And then we get to verse, verse 8. Saul and the people are going through, and they're defeating the Amalekites. It says from Havilah all the way to Shur, east of Egypt. And, and it says in verse 8, he took King Agag alive and devoted destruction, all the people with the edge of the sword. 
But Saul and the people spared Agag and the best of the sheep and of the oxen, the best of the fatted calves, the best of the lambs. Look what it says. All that was good and would not utterly destroy them. But all that was despised and worthless, they devoted to destruction. So, so here comes Saul and his group of people, and they get into the land, and, and they, they begin to wipe out this people group. Right? So men and women, they, they slaughter children and kids. They, they kill off. They keep the king alive. And then they start rummaging through the spoil. And they say, man, this, this stuff is too good to get rid of. This, this stuff is, we can't get rid of that sheep. Look how, look how fat that sheep is. Look how much meat it got on it. We can't just kill this. God wouldn't want us to kill this. He, he, he wouldn't want, see, see, I know God said get rid of all of it, but, but let's do this. Let's take the good stuff and offer it to the Lord, right? That's what it says. Verse 10, it says that the word of the Lord then came to Samuel, and he says, I, I regret that I made Saul king for he has turned back from following me and has not performed my commandments. And Samuel was angry, and he cried to the Lord all night. Samuel's, he's, he's angry, he's mad, he's crying out to the Lord. I mean, he, you got to remember, if you go back a few chapters when Israel was asking for a king, Samuel wanted to be the king. Samuel wanted to be in that spot. And he, he petitions the people. He's like, man, hey, hey, ain't I been good among you? I ain't steal from nobody. I, I've been judging rightly among you. But, but God said no. The people said no. And so you can, you can imagine now that Samuel getting the news, man, I regret I made Saul king. And Samuel's like, see? <laughs> Told you you should have you should have made me king. I wouldn't have did that. I wouldn't have did it. But Samuel's grieved, and he's angered by it. So in the morning, he gets up, and he begins to go and, and find out what's going on, and he gets down to Carmel, Saul's town, and, and, and the Bible says in verse 12, and behold, Saul had set up a monument for himself and turned and passed on and went down to Gilgal. And Samuel came to Saul, and Saul said to him, Blessed be to you, to the Lord. I have performed the commandment of the Lord. So here comes Samuel coming down, about to confront Saul about his, about his sin. Before he can get a word out, Saul comes up. He's like, man, look, guess what we did? We fulfilled the commandments of the Lord. Did exactly what God told us to do. Praise the Lord. <laughs> Praise the Lord. He said, worship with me. God is good all the time. No, y'all don't know that? All right. It's, it's funny. Let's, let's read a little further before I. And Samuel said, verse 14, man, if you, if, you, if, you perform, if you perform the commandment of the Lord, what's all this bleating of the sheeps I hear and lowing of the oxen? If you... If you killed everything like you were supposed to, why I hear bah, bah, and stuff? I'm like, what's, what's going on? Because the first thing you said to me, if I remember correctly, is that you fulfilled the commandment of the Lord. But I see oxen. I see sheep. I'm hearing stuff. I'm smelling stuff. This don't seem like you fulfilled anything to me. But then look what Saul says. He says, he says, he says, they, <laughs> he says, they have brought them from the Amalekites. For the people spared the best of the sheep 
and of the oxen to sacrifice to the Lord. So he says, he says Samuel, I hear you, but it's not that bad. Listen, the one, get it straight, I didn't do this. <laughs> the people did it. It was the people's idea. But don't go too hard on them because they wanted to sacrifice to the Lord. So it's, why are you so mad? We only brought the best stuff, and in we're giving it to God. Like, don't God want this? Like, this whole situation reminds me of how I deal with my kids sometimes. You know, you got little kids. Uh, when they're playing with stuff, they don't just play with the toy they want to play with. They play with all their toys at the same time. So if they say, like, if, if my kids say, hey, I want to go get this toy, and we say, all right, go play in your room, and they say, I just want to play with that, and you come up in the room, and they done took all the toys out and laid them on the floor everywhere, all over the place, right? And so every once in a while, you got to tell your kids, go upstairs and clean up your room, right? But the dangerous thing is, after a while pass, and you don't hear nothing, you start getting suspicious. Because little kids is noisy. So if they quiet, that means they're getting into something. And so what you got to do is you got to tiptoe up the stairs so you can sneak up on them, right? I mean, the look on kids' faces when you done snuck up on them and found them in something they're not supposed to be in. So you, so you sneak up on them, you get in the room, or now you get in the room, but what you do is you make a little bit of noise when you get to the top. Don't sneak all the way in. You sneak up a little bit and scare them a little bit, right? And so, and so you know, your, kid, your kids will, sometimes your kids will run out the room. Like, I'm thinking of my daughter. She'll run out the room. She'll be like, Daddy, Daddy, I made my bed. Aren't you proud of me? Right? So I go in, and the bed is made, looks good, but it's toys out all over the place. Right? And I'm like, didn't I tell you to clean up your room? Yeah, I cleaned up my bed. <laughs> didn't I tell you to clean up your room? What, what, what happened? Well, I started playing with my toys, and then I forgot. <laughs> and, it, and it got fun. Right? This reminds me of Saul right here. Right? He got a full command of the Lord. Do all of this. He did some of that. And then when, when God sent Samuel to call him out on it, he said, but I did that part of it, though. Yeah. And then he starts making excuses. Look at this. So Samuel says, so, so Paul's starting to make excuses. He's starting to, I mean, not Paul. I, I, why I keep saying Paul? Paul, Saul, you know, never mind. Y'all know what I'm talking about. Uh, Saul starts making excuses, starting to blame shift and stuff. And, 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 and verse 16, Samuel's like, listen, uh, listen, I, I, stop, stop. And he said, I'm going to tell you what the Lord said. I want to hear what you got to say. I'm going to tell you what the Lord said. And so verse 17, look at this. He says, Samuel said, though you are little in your own eyes. Now, that's, that's key because this, this lets us know Saul, wasn't, Saul didn't have a, like he wasn't an arrogant dude. Like Saul wasn't, he wasn't an arrogant guy. Like Saul had a, he had a proper understanding of who he was. He didn't think a lot of himself. Even though he was from a wealthy family, he was tall, he was handsome, he was king. He didn't. Like, he didn't use that to his advantage to try to place himself above people. Though you are little in your own eyes, are you not the head of the tribes of Israel? See, see even though Saul was a, a humble man in the beginning and didn't esteem himself highly, see, Saul's issue was that he didn't feel comfortable with the type of leadership where he had to go against people, where, 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 where there'd be friction sometimes where he'd have to make some decisions that people wouldn't like. 
See, Paul, see Saul, Saul, Saul didn't, he didn't like that. See, Saul was leading the people as if he was one of their peers. Mm. Wow. Then he says, he says, verse 18, and, and the, well, verse 17, last, last half, the Lord anointed you king over Israel, and the Lord sent you on a mission and said, devote to destruction the sinners, the Amalekites, fight against them till they are consumed. Why then did you not obey the voice of the Lord? Why did you pounce on the spoil and do what was evil in the sight of the Lord? At no point in time in this entire passage does God say anything about the people. Down the line, he says, though you are little, are you not the head of the tribes? The Lord anointed you. The Lord sent you. You did not obey. You pounced and did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. God was putting the responsibility squarely on the shoulders of the king, Saul. He said, I don't want to hear about what the people did. I, I, I need you to take some responsibility for being the leader here. You, you, you were placed in charge to lead the people. I need you to take some responsibility. But then look at, look at Saul's response. Saul says to Samuel, I have obeyed the voice of the Lord. Still arguing. I have gone on the mission. I have brought Agag the king. I have devoted the Amalekites to destruction. So Saul here begins to answer in every single charge that Samuel was bringing about them. You have done this. You have done this. You have done this. Saul is saying, I have done. I have done. I have done. Verse 21, but the people took of the spoil. But the people took of the sheep. But the people took of the oxen, the best of the things devoted to destruction, to sacrifice to the Lord your God, and then Samuel begins to light him up. <laughs> has the Lord, and Samuel said, has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? See, Samuel wasn't saying that, that, that the Lord didn't delight in burnt offerings, that he didn't delight in sacrifices. He wasn't saying that those things were worthless, but he was saying sacrifices without obedience to the commands of God are worthless. That's why Isaiah 29 says, the Lord said, this people draw near with their mouth and honor me with their lips while their hearts are far from me. Deuteronomy 28 says, because you did not serve the Lord your God with joyfulness and gladness of heart, therefore you shall serve your enemies whom the Lord will send against you. He put a curse clause in the law and said, when your heart strays far from me, this is what's going to happen. When you try to just keep the law apart from your heart connecting to me in obedience, this is what's going to happen to you. He says, I don't want that morality stuff. Burnt offerings and sacrifices here are anything you use to try to please God apart from the finished work of Christ. Anything you use to try to please God apart from the work of Christ. This morning, my, uh, my wife, she, she got a headache out of nowhere, really bad one. You know, she'll, she'll get headaches every once in a while, but... Um, I'm a migraine getter, so I know what it's like when, you're, when you, you get a migraine so bad, you got to, like, shut the blinds because can't no light get in. You can't have sound. Like, you don't want nobody talking to you. Like, you just got to, sometimes you just got to lay there. 
until it go away. If you never got a migraine, pray you never do, right? Uh, but this morning, she got one that just kind of knocked her out, right? And I'm getting ready, you know, because, you know, we got back late last night from Manifest, so, you know, I was trying to sleep as much as I could, but still have enough time to, to look the sermon over beforehand, and so I'm getting ready to put my clothes on and all that stuff. Uh, we had just put the kids in the bath, and it just hit her, and she had to go lay down, right? And so, you know, I'm getting my stuff together, putting my book bag on, uh, and I'm like, babe, you okay? She's like, I'm all, I'm all right, blah, 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 just go ahead, blah, 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 blah. And so uh, that, that means some other stuff was said, blah, 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 blah. Um, so, so I get to the top of the steps, and I'm about, to, I'm about, to, I'm about to, to walk out the house, and the Holy Spirit said, you just going to leave like that? You, you just, so your, your wife just shut down. You just going to leave your three kids in the tub? I mean, I know they like playing in water, but how long you expect them to stay in there? <laughs> they hungry. They had no breakfast. Like, you, you going to make her get up and do all that? Because you got to go preach the word this morning? <laughs> See, man, I don't care about that. I don't care about that sermon. Don't nobody care about you preaching. Don't nobody care about that sermon you're working on. It's like, you, you, you got to go preach the word of God and look over the sermon. I don't care about that. You better do what I called you to do and go love your wife and help get them kids out the tub. Put some lotion on them. Get them dressed. Take them down and get some breakfast. They know how to work Netflix. I ain't got to worry about that. But you just going to leave and not help out because you got to go preach the word to somebody? How about you preach the word to your kids right now while you serve your wife? How about you do that? So, of course, I dropped my bag, and I was like, all right, then. I'm here. Listen, listen to me. The Lord would have not been pleased had I came in here and killed the sermon, and I left my wife laying there without helping serve her. He said, what? love your wife by washing her with the water of the word. How do you exemplify a servant leader to her when you're just going to leave her there to have to pick the kids up while she got a migraine and you ain't helping because you got to go preach to the people? How you preaching to the people you ain't taking care of your home? I tell guys all the time, I don't want to hear nothing you got to say if your home ain't in order. Don't tell me, don't tell me about nothing the Lord showed you in the word if you ain't taking care of your home. You ain't loving your wife. You ain't shepherding your kids. I don't want to hear none of that. And guess what? God said the same thing to me this morning. Care about that sermon? People don't care about that sermon. better put that down and go help your wife. See, God, God wants, he wants your whole self. He don't care about your devotional time in the morning if your heart ain't attached to him. He don't care about you sharing the gospel with your neighbor if, you, if your heart ain't attached to it. He don't care about all your studying and all your work. He don't care about you lifting your hands and crying and your snotty nose or none of that. He don't care. He don't need that. He wants your heart. And I, I'll tell you how you know your heart is near to the Lord. Obedience. Amen. Are you being obedient to the word of God? Yes. Romans 12.1, I beseech you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, present yourselves as a living sacrifice. Not just your arm, not just your big toe, your bodies, all of it, every single part of your body, which includes your mind, which includes your eyes, watching what you're listening to, which includes your mouth. When you're ready to go off on people, present your bodies as a sacrifice. 
Are you worshiping the Lord through obedience? All that other stuff means nothing to God if your worship does not come from an obedient heart submitted to God. That's why he says later, behold, to obey is better than sacrifice. Obey what? The voice of the Lord. The word of God has to take precedence in your life. It has to take precedence in your heart. It doesn't matter what everybody else is saying. Stop building your life around the culture. Stop building your life around it. What does the word of God have to say? The word of God takes precedent because it's authoritative. Why is it authoritative? Because it comes from God. 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. It's God breathed. This word is authoritative. It's not like any other word. This word is without error. This word is perfect. This word corrects you when you're wrong. This word finds you when you're lost. This word encourages you when you're down. This word heals the wounded heart. This word fixes the broken spirit. This word mends the broken soul. This word saves your soul. Obedience to the voice of the Lord is better than sacrifice. But then he doesn't stop there. He goes on. He says, for the rebellion, for rebellion is as the sin of divination and presumption, presumption is as iniquity and idolatry. Here, here Samuel begins to lay out. You don't realize that your purposeful disobedience to God is idolatry. You might as well be worshiping the devil. He says, it's as divination witchcraft when you know god's word and you choose not to obey you're worshiping the devil my goodness my goodness but but we don't see our sin like that we 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 are presumptuous and thinking that we can just do what we want and just repent later obedience is better than say he doesn't want your repentance if you're not willing to obey Verse 24, Saul says to Samuel, and we get to the heart of the issue here, I have sinned, for I have transgressed the commandment of the Lord and your words, because I feared the people and obeyed their voice. The roles here have been reversed. Saul, who was supposed to be the king leading the people, guiding the people, was now being guided and led by the people. Saul obeyed the voice of the people and not the voice of God. Saul's fear of man overrode his willingness to obey God. Let me give you a few characteristics of of a people pleaser. People pleasers will lie and manipulate or embellish situations to help preserve the perception of themselves and, and view of people. They are constantly consumed with what they think people think about them. They have an extremely difficult time with people being angry or disappointed with them or having any negative perception, whether justified or not. They feel like they have to work for God's approval. People pleasers avoid conflict at all costs. They have a difficult time being vulnerable to others. They have a difficult time believing the truth of God's word because of what others say and think is more impactful to their daily lives. See, people pleasers have a difficult time applying the truth of God's word to their situations on a regular basis. Yeah. 
I know you think this about somebody thinking that about you. One, that's pride because ain't nobody always thinking about you. <laughs> the only reason you think they thinking about you all the time is because you thinking about you all the time. You know, I, I, I'll be honest. I'm going to put myself out there. I, I've been putting myself out there this sermon, so um, let's do another one. I, you know, I, I said in the beginning, I didn't, you know, I'm coming to grips with the fact that I'm a people pleaser. You know, even during the sermon, I was, I was working through, man, like, I'm trying to just grab my mind around just how people pleasers operate and what that looks like. And so I started thinking through the conversations I had my wife and things that she struggled with. And the Lord was like, why are you thinking about her? You're a people pleaser. <laughs> she think about you. <laughs> so I was like, okay. And so, man, look, so after I preach sometimes, you know, I'll go to some of my friends and I'll be like, ah, oh, man, I just feel like I did a good, I didn't feel like I did a good job then. I didn't feel, man, I feel like I, I feel like I missed that. Like, how'd it go? How'd it go? And they'd be like, oh, man, yeah, you did a brilliant man. I think was ministering to it, speak to it. Now, am I really asking, am I really, like, broken up about not preaching the word good? No, I want them to tell me I killed it. <laughs> but what am I doing? I'm manipulating them and the situation to try to get some type of uh, uh, affirmation from them to validate me. And whenever I have to look somewhere else from validation outside of God's word, I've got an identity issue. See, see, when, when the fear of man begins to cause you to look for affirmation from things other than from God, you got, you got an identity issue. Because at the root of that, you're not rooted in who God says you are through Christ. And so you're afraid to be honest with people. You're afraid to tell them when they disappoint you. You're, you're emotionally unhealthy because you avoid conflict. Somebody did something to you and it's really messing you up, but you don't want to say nothing to them. But you go talk to everybody else about them. Oh or, or when you know people are upset with you, you'll try to do every little single thing to, to, to get them to be like, oh man, like I like you again. <laughs> or to get them to be pleased with you. We go so far out of our ways to get the, 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 uh, the, the, the uh, approval of man. Because we're not satisfied with the approval of God. It's not good enough for us to, to wait for the coming of Christ to come back. That's too far in the future. I need somebody to tell me how worthy I am now. You know, one of the things I'm, I'm beginning to realize, though, with, within that, because, you know, it's, it's easy to say everything I just said and not, not say some other things. For instance, like, it's okay to care about how people think about you. Like, it's, it's okay to want affirmation and attention and acceptance. It's okay to feel uncomfortable with conflict and relationships. It's okay to feel the pressure of having to be obedient to God's word when it's difficult. It's okay. God created you for community. Yeah. He created you to be in a group of people. It's okay. But the, the issue is when we begin to neglect obedience to God's word and we begin to seek for identity in those relationships and in those affirmations apart from Christ and the work that he did on the cross, that's when... 
you begin to get in trouble. I know we're going to stop at verse 24, but read on a little bit with me, because if we just stop here, we're going to miss something about Saul. Because it's like, okay, verse 24, man, he says, I have sinned. I'm confessing to you. I've, the reason I did it was because I fear the people. Let's read a little bit more. Verse 25, now, therefore, please pardon my sin and return with me that I may bow before the Lord. And Samuel said to Saul, I will not return with you, for you have rejected the word of the Lord, and the Lord has rejected you from being king over Israel. Uh, a side note, there are some things in your life that God will take away because of your lack of obedience. See, 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 see God's put you in a position, different, different positions and different opportunities of leadership, different places of influence. But, but when you begin to fall away because of the fear of man and you, you lack the willingness to obey God's word, he's going to take some stuff away. As Samuel turned to go away, Saul seized the skirt of his robe and tore it. And Samuel said to him, the Lord has torn the kingdom of Israel from you this day and has given it to a neighbor of yours who is better than you. And also the glory of Israel will not lie or have regret for he is not a man that he should have regret. Then Saul said, I have sinned, yet honor me now. Where? Before the elders of my people and before Israel. Even now. Saul is still concerned with what people are going to say about him. He, the only reason he wants Samuel to come back with him to offer sacrifices and, and, and to worship with him is so that the people will not know that he's been rejected by God. See, some people ask, the, like, what's, what makes David so special? David committed some heinous crimes. I mean, he's a murderer, an adulterer. But when he was found out and Nathan came to him and said, you are the man, what did David do? He tore his garments, got in sackcloth and ashes. They had to force him to eat. They had to force him to come out of his room. They said, haven't you repented long enough? Like, it's time to keep this moving. David was so pressed in by his sin that he was unwilling. He didn't care what nobody thought about him at that point. He didn't care. He said, I don't care what y'all think. I sinned against God. That, that wasn't the heart of Saul here. Saul, after being found out and confronted, is still like, yeah, but, but, but what are they going to say about me now that I, you know I sinned? My goodness. Wow. See, that, that's, that's what happens with people pleasers. We're, we're fearful that when, when our sin comes into the light, when we do fall, when we, when we fall short, that we won't be accepted by people. And so we've got to manipulate our behavior and situations in order to, to put up a, a, a fraudulent picture of who we are so that people will be more willing to accept us. The key is, be, is to make sure that our obedience is not an effort to please God, but a response to our faith in God. That's why Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5, so whether we are at home or away, whether we're in this fleshly body or home with the Lord, we make it our aim to please him. In the book of John, Jesus, he's talking with some of the Pharisees, some of the disciples, and he said, said man, I always do what pleases the Father. And I just got rocked by that. I was like, I don't. <laughs> but Jesus could say that. I always do what pleases the Father. Never fell short of the Father's standard. 
That's why Philippians 2 says that he was obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And because of that, God exalted him and gave him a, a name higher than any other name. That's why the Bible says, by the name of Jesus, every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. He was tempted without sin. See, our God, we have a faithful high priest in the Son who was tempted at times. Could you imagine if Jesus did everything everybody wanted him to do? You know how often Jesus dipped off from the crowd because he just had to go spend some time with the Lord? Or people asked him to do stuff and he said no. And it wasn't bad stuff. It was times Jesus, they was telling Jesus to stay in the town because people wanted to be healed. He was like, I can't stay. I got to go preach the word over there. That's what he's calling us to. He's, he's calling us to being rooted in our identity in Christ in such a way that we can be honest with ourselves and with other people. And we can bear under the weight of people being disappointed with us and angry with us, frustrated with us, not trusting us at times, and yet still be okay. Yeah. Bible says it's not, it's not going, Bible didn't say it's going to be easy. It's going to be hard. Yeah. It's hard when you know people don't like you. Sometimes for bad reasons, sometimes it's legitimate. Sometimes you did something wrong and they deserve not to like you. It, it hurts when people talk bad about you. It hurts when people don't give you the benefit of the doubt. But, but, but God wants us to stand firm in the truth of his word so that we aren't swayed by the opinions of men. See, God, God, can't, God can't use people that are swayed by the opinions of men. God, God wants to use people who are rooted in the truth of his word and are willing to obey his word, come hella high water. Will that be you today? Will you be known by your unwavering commitment to the word of God? Let's pray. Father God, we are, we are, a group of people who have fallen short constantly of the standard that you've set. And yet, just as David was, we can be called men and women who have hearts like yours. Men and women who are people after your own heart because of our willingness to face the truth, to repent, and to walk in biblical unadulterated obedience to the word of God. So God, we want our lives to be marked by that. We, we want to be people who hear the spirit of God talking to us constantly and obey. We, we want to be people who are growing and not having as many fits of anger, who are growing in resisting sexual temptation and sin. We want to be people who are growing and not being so prideful, comparing ourselves to where others are. We want to be growing in 
being okay with who you've called us to be despite what anybody else thinks about us. God, it's hard to grow. It's hard to be a disciple of Jesus. But, but you said in your word that they hated you. And they'll hate us. God, help us to bear underneath the pressure of what it means to be followers of Jesus. Help us to do the hard work of deciding to follow you fully, fully deciding to follow you, not partially. Partial obedience is no obedience. So God, we want to be known as a people who are obedient to the word of God so that when we stand before you and we're embraced and entered into the kingdom, you can say, well done, thy good and faithful servant. Help us to realize the reality of having once been far off but now being brought near because of the blood of Christ. Help this to be a community of people that so have one another's backs and are so fighting for one another and encouraging one another and praying for one another that it makes it easy to walk with Jesus here because of the community of people that are around you on the same path, on the same journey, living for their God. And so, God, we want to be people whose hearts are close to you, whose hearts are near to you. So as we sang earlier, God, we surrender. We surrender because we want to be close to you. We surrender all, all to Jesus. We surrender. So we come before you, God, as a surrendered people, praying that you would aid us, be with us, to live in a way that honors the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. We pray that right now in that name, in the name of the Lord Jesus. Amen. Amen. Let's prepare our hearts for communion.